This is On The Left Side, the alternative football show, Season Faniel! Uh, we have a good opportunity over Christmas to show that we are much better than people think we are. Hello and welcome to the end of 2017, or the beginning of 2018, or 2024, I guess it kind of depends when you're listening to this podcast, because they just float around in pod space forever. I'm Jim, this is On The Left Side, and on this show we are going to be taking a look through some of our favourite stories from 2017, some of the footballing highlights from the last 12 months. Before we get on. I just need to say a couple of thank yous. Thank you to Abrupt Audio, who helped make the podcast happen. Thank you very much to Ant McGinley, who has to put up with even more of my annoying voice as he edits the podcast together every single week. And thank you, most importantly, to you guys for listening. I'm always blown away by the number of people that listen to this podcast, and that number is growing every single week. So if you're an old listener, thank you very much for sticking with us. And if you're a brand new listener, thank you very much for joining us. But make sure you have subscribed so you get all the new podcasts as soon as they're ready. Now, we do this show for free. We never make a penny from what we do. So what can you do to pay us back a little bit? We're not going to ask for money. What we are going to ask for is you spread the word if you like the show. Talk about us on social media. Use at on the left side to find us on Twitter or on the left side pod on Facebook to find our page there. And you can also leave us a review on iTunes or however you listen to podcasts telling the world how great we are or how shit we are, if you really want to. But like I say, thank you for listening. We really do appreciate it. And here is to much more silly soccer stuff in 2018. Now, on with the review. In the early part of the year, we witnessed the inexplicable rise of Arsenal Fan TV and a unique mix of disappointment and bad feeling bubbled around the Emirates Stadium, just like it does round the Rooney household after another tabloid exclusive. Many of those emotions were directed at boss Arsene Wenger and the question of his future at the club, with even a brand new word bobbing up to describe his potential departure from North London. Wexit. Although it does seem like a slightly appropriate term. I mean, if Theresa May needs help with the Brexit negotiations, then Arsene Wenger is an expert in exiting Europe. Forget long negotiations in Brussels, he just needs 90 minutes with a bunch of Germans. Brexit means Brexit. For almost five months, the question of will he, won't he stay was backpage news, with anyone and everyone wading in on the debate. Arsenal fans have been on tenterhooks this week after Arsene Wenger hinted that all would be revealed on his future at the club very, very soon. I know what I will do in my future, so you will soon know. The only question is how soon is soon. Is it soon compared to how long Wenger has been at the club or soon as in how soon after the start of the season the Gunners fans lose all hope of winning anything this year or soon as in how soon will chances of Champions League qualification vanish this season? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's looking that rosy for Wenger. Even celebrity fans are beginning to stick the boot in. Piers rent a controversial statement Morgan was on Talk Sport this week, delighted to once more climb aboard his Wenger out soapbox and give a damning appraisal of the manager's transfer policy. This is a guy who just spent £35 million on Mustafi and Xhaka. And I wouldn't trust him with £10 to buy me a good sandwich, let alone a world-class player. Ten quid for a sandwich? No wonder the fans are f***ed off if those are the prices at the Emirates. Or maybe it's just a really big sandwich. A really big sandwich that would probably do a better job at the back than most of the Arsenal defenders this season. And playing alongside Per Mertesacker, it's today's captain, Meatball Marinara. As for the fans, well, they're becoming a bit of a laughing stock too. Even unable to organise a good old aerial protest if last week's shocking display of aeronautics is anything to go by. During the West Brom game, we saw flown over the Hawthorns a Wenger out banner. Then, a few minutes later, a Wenger in banner. I'm half expecting to see a Wenger shake it all about banner being pulled by a plane over the Emirates when they play City next week. Knees bend, arms stretch, sack him now. Who exactly has enough money? that they can afford to hire a sign maker, 
a plane and a pilot just because they're a little bit annoyed that their football club isn't winning anything. Arsenal fans are clearly all loaded. Maybe they can justify £10 for a sandwich after all. And if they can afford that, well, they need to stop getting so angry about season ticket prices. But the angry, fam-spouting crackpots on Arsenal TV are becoming too much of a cliché now, in my opinion. They're getting too much attention for their hate and vitriol, embarrassing most of the Arsenal fans who they claim to represent. I don't care, fam. Instead, today, let's hear from a different voice. A voice with a solution. A fan with a clear vision of how Arsenal can sort out this unholy mess that they find themselves in. It didn't even look like he had any shin pads on. You couldn't even see a bulge there where the shin pads were. Wear decent shin pads. That's the first thing that we need to get right. Yep, forget bad buys, player attitude, poor tactics, Champions League exits, empty trophy cabinets, tight budgets, stadium atmosphere, poisonous fans, fourth place finishes, substandard leadership, broken promises, high expectations, growing competition, in-house rifts and ineffectual management. If Arsenal can't get their shin pad policy right, what hope do they have? Football is a simple game, isn't it? Once you realise it's all down to shin pads, the rest just kind of falls into place. I hear that's pretty much what Pep Guardiola does. He makes sure the team have a good pair of shinnies and lets the rest just take care of itself. Arsenal fans better get used to Arsene Wenger, because he's not going anywhere. The future of another Arsenal name is less clear right now, however. It looks like Alexi Sanchez could be out of the door any day now, and even Gunners legend Ian Wright suggested recently he'd clocked off. All that is despite some quite sterling efforts from a few Arsenal fans to convince him to stay, way back in January. Arsenal's best player is looking a frustrated figure on the pitch, and with his contract expiring next summer, the will-he-won't-he saga is all anyone at the Emirates is talking about. But Arsene Wenger seems to almost be enjoying it. Without going to Sanchez and Ozil and all of that again, it... how much? You can, you can. <laughs> okay, <laughs> is there an update on those two? No. <laughs> is that Arsene Wenger indulging in some banter? Maybe that's why Ozil wants him to stick around at the end of his contract. He's Quolo on the banter bus. The worry is clearly getting to the fans who have taken matters into their own hands to convince Alexis to stick around for another few years. They want to show that they love his dogs as much as he does. You see, Sanchez is dog crazy. In the same way that David Beckham adorns his boots with his kids' names, Sanchez has the names of his four-legged friends, Atom and Humber, on his boots. Where Paul Pogba uses Instagram to promote his latest Adidas range, Sanchez uses his own personal doggy Instagram account with 13,000 followers a day, where he posts videos like this one spotted by Fox Sports. Gunners midfielder Alexis Sanchez posted this video of his dogs, which, you know, seems sweet at first, but that is because it's muted. If we were allowed to play the song, you would be hearing Please Forgive Me by Brian Adams, which makes everything very, very weird. Not to mention he captioned this video with, the only flaw in dogs is that they rely on human beings. Sanchez, what the heck did you do to those dogs? He even used his first ever Arsenal post-match interview to talk about his mutts. Two goals, a great day for the team. Oh, thank you so much. Eh? So happy for, for, for two goals, eh? but eh, so happy I go to my home with my dog. So, how are fans going to use this to convince him to stay in North London? With a giant dog banner, of course. When Arsenal played Burnley on Sunday, a glance to the stands would have seen the perfect example of money well spent. A six metre long banner with a picture of Alexis and his doggy mates, accompanied by the words, good boys. Forget massive wage packets and moves to China. That's what footballers really want. A massive banner in honour of their family pets. Well, that's it. He is definitely staying now. Brilliant. Maybe Arsenal need to follow suit and get a pet supplier or a dog food manufacturer to sponsor them next season. Although Win-A-Lot would be a very inappropriate sponsor for the Gunners. At least it's not just Wenger out banners at Arsenal. Nice to have a bit of variety. Sanchez's potential move to City, or wherever happens to wave the largest pile of used tenors in his direction, could at least liven up the transfer window this season. Because recently, the January window 
has just been a bit of a damp squib. Jim White may well put on a brave face as he shouts, This Justin, we can confirm to you he is in a helicopter. Into the Sky Sports TV cameras, but you can see in his eyes, he doesn't think that big deal is happening. And instead, he's fearing for the life of his brave colleague standing outside St. James's Park in minus five degrees. What happens to the good old days of the January transfer window, eh? There was a time that I would book deadline day off work. I'd settle down in front of my TV with nothing but a brew, a large packet of hobnobs and an unrealistic level of expectation for company. But those days are gone. Where are the TV reporters being attacked with large purple sex toys on live TV? Where's Harry Redknapp hanging out the window of his Range Rover whilst he talks about the latest signing from a Portuguese third division team? Where's an unwanted midfielder driving halfway across the country to try and force through a transfer to a club that doesn't actually want him? I'm not sure I even saw a journalist with more than four mobile phones on the go last year. It's a sad state of affairs. Thankfully, one man is making a difference. Truly, the most interesting part of deadline day is now following the exploits of hashtag Bushwatch. One man's mission to bring the comings and goings of the transfer window to life for Reading fans by hiding in a bush. And back in February, Jacob Southcline, aka Bushwatch, came onto on the left side to tell us exactly how the last window had gone. Well, it's a bit of a hard sell, but I um, undertake a venture every seven months, um, so twice a year, which is a Bushwatch, <laughs> what is essentially me lurking in a bush outside the Medeci Stadium, so Reading's <laughs> home ground, for 14 hours on end, watching the people go by and hoping to uh, spot a incoming transfer or two. You say you do this for every window. How long now? How many windows has it been? This window just gone. Uh, that's the third year in a row I've done it. So wow. I started in uh, August 2014. Still at school, actually. So very unemployed, very bored, kind of disillusioned by the lack of national press attention Reading were getting on deadline day. So to cut out the middle, man, I thought I'd go down and see what was happening for myself. Um, here I am three years on, still trying to be the first to break the news for Reading fans. Wow, so you've got a little niche for yourself. Why a bush? Yeah. Why did you feel like you needed to hide the bush for it? When I first went down to the, the ground on deadline day, so at first I had to be a bit... Uh, I mean, the club have sort of welcomed me with open arms now, but back in back in the day, they, they never used to... Um, appreciate me typical me football clubs they wait for something to get big yeah, and then they jump exactly, on board exactly so i sort of had to make do with hiding in the undergrowth quite literally because wow. if you if you're if you're out and exposed then they sort of chase you off with a stick is it, um, is it the same bush every year or is it do you like yeah, use different um, bushes throughout the day i used to do like a quick lap before i started to see if there was like a suitable bush to lurk in <laughs> but um it has now become like the tradition the, the, the same the same bush I'd like to think that in years to come they're going to put up a plaque or a statue or something but uh, I think it's wishful thinking what Um, makes a good lurking bush what are you looking for uh, you want to have um, sort of dense leafage cover from about the waist (laughs) downwards and uh, it's difficult because um, if the conditions are like what they were this year um, it can be a bit damp and soggy so um, you've got to be able to sort of easily squat without um, compromising yourself you know it's serious business you know picking the, the optimum bush for the job as you say, it was a bit damp and soggy this year. There must be times over those 14 or so hours when it's transfer deadline day that you're tempted to jack it in and go home, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, I think last August was a total non-event. Mm. And yet that's uh, sort of counterbalanced by, well, the generosity of others. It's, I love the, what one of my most favourite parts of it is... Um, the fact that the people run me down food, coffee. Really? Um, yeah. Just I know, bring you yeah. gifts. They do. I think I managed to cash in on about six free coffees this year. <laughs> Amazing. And uh, yeah, so I was buzzing. I was, I was on a real caffeine high. It's great. Just the people you meet. Obviously, you get some people who are very wary. Well, wary of a man negative. hiding in a bush. <laughs> why, 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 would, why would they possibly yeah, be know, cautious of that? I know, I, unbelievable, yeah. I mean, it, you can't really understand it, can you? <laughs> um, but other people love it. Other, other people think it's absolutely brilliant. No, it's it, utterly bonkers, utterly wow. mental. It feels like it's kind of 
accelerated this year, and partly because of the business of Reading have done, and it's obviously yeah. bedded in over the last three years. You've had a good year of it. What advice would you give to any bush watchers Ooh, that wanted geez. to take up the mantle in different cities? I know it doesn't sound like a lot lurking in a bush for 14 hours, but really it's, it's as much a mental marathon as a physical yeah. one. I think you've got to love your club. You've got to have some money in the bank to pay your bail if you do get get done in for <laughs> trespassing. Um, and really, other than that, you just need to, to have um, a bit of a screw loose, a suitable mobile phone with a camera and um, some some time on your hands. It really is amazing what is possible through the power of social media and also the power of human generosity. And when it all comes together like it did this year, you know, and your club does a bit of business, then um, you get a, a result like we had on Tuesday. A year on, Jacob is still hiding in a bush twice a year and still, as far as I know, managing to stay out of prison. Good work, fella. Whilst I do feel like I could recreate all the last-minute drama of deadline day by going to the pub, waiting until 1 minute to 11 and then trying to buy three pints of substandard lager for way over the usual asking price, it does throw up the occasional gem, such as earlier this year when Sky Sports News reported the new Aberdeen signing of midfielder Yerdas Selzavon on a three-year contract. The only main issue with that is that Aberdeen didn't sign Yerdas Selzavon because Yerdas Selzavon doesn't exist. What they'd actually done is seen a tweet from a fake Aberdeen FC Twitter account and reported it as news because Yerdas Selzavon is a fake name. Say it slowly. Yer-da-sels-avon. And it becomes your dad sells Avon. A pretty common Scottish insult. There's even a song about it. For me, that is perfect. I'd like to see more fake players being reported as done deals on deadline day. Hopefully someone will take inspiration from that and we can look forward to seeing English youngster Mike Crutch joining the villa, German midfield dynamo My Enormous Butt Gunner Spurs and a big money deal for Andy Carroll. That last one's obviously a joke. No one is going to pay good money for Andy Carroll. This is the On The Left Side season fanual. I'll look back at the best stories of 2017. We've already talked about Arsene Wenger, but the pressure has been mounting for a whole load of other managers this year, with Swansea's Paul Clement the latest in a long line of Football League managers that have been handed their P45s in 2017. And when I say a long line, I mean the kind of line forming outside your local butchers on Christmas Eve rather than the line of people waiting to send Jose Mourinho a Christmas card this year. With Clement barely managing a year in the job, you have to wonder if Swansea look back misty-eyed at the appointment of Bob Bradley and his eventual sacking back in January. We certainly do, but for a very different reason. It's 2017 and it's a new start for Swansea City after they dumped Bobcat Bob Bradley after just 87 days in charge of the club. The former US national coach hardly had time to get his American bald eagle out of quarantine and stick up a stars and stripes in his office before being shown the door, but somehow the writing seems to have always been on the wall, as football fans fail to believe that he, an American, could possibly know anything about football because he said PK instead of penalty kick and used the term road game instead of playing away. Surely even Bob knows that he can't be a good football manager if he, you know, speaks a bit funny like. 95% of my football vocabulary fits without a problem. And then when push comes to shove, you know, you you try to make sure that your message uh, resonates and is clear with the players. That's what counts. So let's just get this right. Mauricio Pochettino came to England without being able to speak a word of the language, chose to speak to his players and the media via an interpreter and was heralded as a new footballing dawn, a tactical genius. But because Bob Bradley describes football boots as cleats, says tie instead of draw and defence instead of defence, somehow his players couldn't understand him. Actually, that last one is unforgivable. Fair play to the former Swansea boss, though. He stood up to the media and chatted to talk sport post his Swansea exit, or Swexit, as no one's calling it, to give his view. 
Bob, how are you feeling this morning after what happened last night? I'm a little bit pissed off this morning. There you go. That's a pretty solid use of Anglo-Saxon English right there. Bob Bradley, of course, was not alone. Eleven Premier League managers got the boot in 2017. That's one every 33 days. A higher turnover than Big Sam's had Christmas dinners. Actually, it's probably not. Amazingly, in amongst all those hirings and firings, there have even been some calls for the sacking of two of the highest profile managers in the country right now, Pep Guardiola and Jose Mourinho. The pair bowled into the Premier League, all smart jumpers and big promises last season, but by the tail end of their first year in charge, it hadn't quite gone to plan. Some people were claiming that a City United 1-2 in their first seasons in charge was as much of a certainty as Andy Carroll missing a sitter from... Hello? We already did a gag about Andy Carroll being rubbish. Really? Okay, well, who else is pretty bad? Okay, yeah, cool, we'll do that. As much of a sure thing as Wilfred Boney missing a sitter, but sometimes things don't go that way. Chelsea were rampant and the pressure of expectation began to show on both the superstar managers' faces. Of course, it's looking much different now, but way back at the tail end of last season, things weren't looking quite so rosy. It's getting to the pointy end of the season and the pressure is starting to show on the managers battling it out for those Champions League spots. Manchester United are currently outside those coveted positions and that wasn't helped by the club's midweek draw with Hull City, which left manager Jose Mourinho clearly unhappy. He claimed that the ref should have given more decisions in favour of his team and he was not in the mood to elaborate. What particularly did you feel that the referee should have pulled them up on that? Well, if you don't know football, you shouldn't be with the microphone in your hand. That's like going to a doctor's and getting in a strop when he asks you what the problem is. Ah, Mr Salverson, now what seems to be the problem? Oh, I paid my taxes. You're the one getting paid as a professional with your years of experience. You tell me where it hurts. He hadn't even calmed down by the time he got to the press conference where he claimed he was being treated unfairly by, well, everyone, after he was told to shut up, sit down or get sent to the stands. You know clearly that I am different. The rules for me are different. Yep, for anyone keeping count, that was Jose Mourinho's weekly pop clop, a little snide remark aimed at everyone's favourite affable German, Jurgen Klopp, who almost got himself in hot water after shouting in the fourth official's face after keeper Simon Mignolet saved a penalty to earn his team a midweek point against Chelsea. Klopp was, however, quick to apologise and even came out after the game to reveal what it was that he shouted. What was I said? Nobody can beat us. That's the kind of statement you need to be careful if you're shouting it in a German accent, isn't it? Firstly, if you're a long-time listener of On The Left Side, you will know about my theory that Jurgen Klopp is in fact an evil Bond villain. Well, shouting things like, No one can beat us! does not dispel that idea in any way. It's exactly the kind of thing that a Bond villain would shout in the middle of an epic battle moments before his secret hollowed-out volcano base was blown into the sky. Secondly, well, it's not really true, is it? A more accurate statement would have been, No one can beat us! Apart from Wolves and Southampton and Swansea and Southampton again and Burnley. But I guess that wouldn't have quite the same impact, would it? But what about the other under-pressure manager? It's Pep Guardiola that I'm really worried about. The Spanish boss has the weight of performance on his shoulders like never before at Manchester City, and the cracks are starting to show. His team may have pulled off some spectacular wins recently, but the pressure is taking its toll. He was talking about his new superstar South American, Gabriel Jesus, and he was full of praise, I think. I mean, it was actually quite difficult to tell. It's like a watermelon. You have to open and see if it's good or not, so... Yeah, I get you. Just like a watermelon, yeah. You're like big and green and full of black pips. And if you fill it with vodka or rum, you've got a delicious summer... No, no, no. No, I don't get it. However, in principle, I think it kind of works. Comparing a footballer to a fruit, you can make some great comparisons. Dimitri Payet, he's like a banana. If you put him in a fruit bowl, it's in danger of making all the other fruit go bad. And Luis Suarez, he's like a lemon. Clearly very bitter, he's got a sharp bite, and he's much more at home in the Mediterranean. 
And what about Wayne Rooney? Well, he's a kiwi fruit. I'm sure it's got loads of great qualities, but you can't quite get over how weird it looks with all that hair on it. Speaking of Rooney, it was a big old year for our Wayne too. It's safe to say it's ended with him in pretty decent form, banging him in for his boyhood club Everton, when it looked like this summer he was going to be packing his bags and heading to China. Newspaper headlines were written, agents were sent to suss out the country, and we all learnt that absolutely no one can pronounce the names of any Chinese Super League clubs, choosing instead to refer to them as one great big lump. Let's start off with the one we have all been talking about, Wayne Rooney to the Chinese Super League. There is something that could lure Wayne Rooney to China, not just the amount of money. United's all-time leading goalscorer has had offers from several Chinese Super League clubs. It's a very British way to approach things. Can't speak the language? Don't even bother trying. Shout and point. That'll do it. I don't know why they didn't just go the whole hog and refer to the teams as numbers, just like we do on a Chinese takeaway menu. Well, you know something? Wayne Rooney could be looking at a potential transfer to a number seven, a number two, and an egg fried rice. But Wazza wasn't done there. In September, he had even more big news and announced his retirement from international football. To announce this to the world, he released a carefully worded statement on social media. A statement that reads more like the lyrics from a cheesy boy band ballad than a footballing farewell. In fact, so much so, I thought I'd turn it into a song. It's a really tough decision But I believe it's time to bow out now I know I've made the right decision Coming home, home to Everton I'll always remain a passionate England fan One day my dreams will come true I'm coming back, yes I'm coming back to you Okay, some creative license there, but to be fair, Rooney is being true to his word. He does want to be a true England fan. And within just a week of making that pledge, he's already had too much to drink at a party and been arrested on a drink-driving offence whilst allegedly trying to get his end away. Nice one, Wayne. You're now behaving like most England fans. Just get a tattoo of a bulldog and you're sorted. Rooney retiring from international football means, of course, he won't be on the plane to Russia, which is a shame. Because Rooney can offer so much more than in just footballing terms. For a start, I reckon he'd be pretty handy in a ruck. And if plans put forward this year by a Russian politician ever came to pass, that could be very handy indeed. Just when you thought that Michel Platini had cornered the market in absolutely ridiculous footballing ideas, then up steps a Russian MP to steal that baton. We all laughed when Gianni Infantano said he had no concerns over hooliganism during the 2018 World Cup in Russia. Well, it's quite possible that Russian politician Igor Lebedev has taken it too far the other way. The Liberal Democratic Party member has proposed that the violence on the football terraces be moved into the arena itself in a sport that he's called Draka, in which two footballing firms go head to head with pure violence. He said, Russia pioneer new sport. Fans arrive, start picking fights. Challenge accepted. Meeting in stadium at set time. That's an actual Russian Lib Dem MP's opinion. Maybe Nick Clegg would have had far more impact if he'd suggested the odd ruck or two over university tuition fees. The policy is there. I really think tuition fees are wrong. Anyway, at first I was outraged, disgusted and amused by the suggestion, as I'm sure you were. But then I thought about it for a second. The only headlines that England created during the European Championships last year that didn't involve an abject display on the field was the violence there involved with Offit. And in a way... When it comes to being a complete and utter knob, England kind of lead the way. So could we have finally found a sport that England could genuinely be world champions at? Just imagine, we take the most idiotic and brain-dead England fans, remove them from the terraces, stick them in a Stone Island team kit hoodie, and away you go. 
it would certainly make match days more interesting. I am home. How was the match, honey? Ah, oh, it was a great game. We went ahead early in the 100 meter plastic chair hurling. Then they pulled it back with the abuse throwing championship. And then right at the end, Nicky Knuckles pulled it out of the bag with a dozen GBHs and a charge of a fray. I can't wait to watch the highlights. That's great. Glad you had a good day. Yeah, the only down point was having to watch England play afterwards. It also wasn't a great campaign for the home nations with Wales, Northern Ireland, the Republic and Scotland all failing to make the finals. Thankfully for the Scots at least, that failure to qualify was easily explainable by boss Gordon Strachan. Genetically, we're behind. In the last campaign, we were the second smallest apart from Spain. It's an interesting theory. The Scottish are rubbish at football, not because of finances or training facilities or even raw talent. It's all down to them being a little bit wee. What's great about that excuse is that Strachan goes to the effort of name-checking Spain to back up his reasoning that small teams can't succeed. Spain, one of the most successful international teams of the last decade. Let's look a little more at those stats and see if all that can be backed up. Producer Ant has the science. Ant? Well, Jim, according to UN statistics, the Scottish people have an average height of 5 foot 8 inches, which isn't that small, is it? No, it's not, but it's hardly a team of Peter Crouches either, unless Peter Crouch was crouching. But go on. Well, it's taller than the average height in Brazil, uh, Spain, Portugal and even Argentina, who check in at a fun size average of 5 foot 3 inches. And did they all qualify for the World Cup? Yes, they did. And you also have to consider that height was never much of an issue to Zola, Maradona or indeed Alexis Sanchez. So who has the best genetics in the world then? Who's the tallest football team? I might stick a tenner on them for this year. Well, that's quite clearly Norway and they didn't qualify for the World Cup either. So, OK, so is there a scientific term you found to describe Strachan's theory? Yes, the technical term is bullshit. Even if your team didn't qualify for this summer's World Cup, then you may as well just make the most of it. Because earlier this year, whilst our backs were turned doing something else, FIFA had a bloody good go at ruining the whole thing for everyone. It's fair to say there are a few mixed emotions as FIFA announced they've decided to increase the number of teams playing in the World Cup to 48. That's 16 more than are currently involved. I didn't even know there were 48 countries. Is it possible that FIFA are just going to invent some more and throw them into the mix? If so, can I suggest maybe Blatter wasn't that bad at all, is Stan, as a possibility. Much like David Cameron trying to stay in power with the promise of a Brexit, Gianni Infantino promised to increase the size of the World Cup when he was elected, and now it's happening. He promised the members of FIFA that he would have a bigger World Cup if they voted for him. And now they're being paid back by having a bigger World Cup. His dream of making the World Cup inclusive for everyone looks like it'll come to fruition for the 2026 final. But isn't the point of a World Cup that it's not inclusive, it's an exclusive tournament in which the best teams in the world compete for the ultimate prize? Everyone gets their chance via qualification already. Qualification that is designed to weed out the worst and let the cream rise to the top. Just because when you throw a party at school, you invite the kid that sits in the corner smelling a cheese and eating crayons, it doesn't mean when he gets there, he's going to improve the ambience of the event. But what it does do is it dramatically increases the chance of such budding football nations as China and India making the finals. These nations have massive populations, and massive populations mean massive potential TV-watching audiences, and massive potential TV-watching audiences means massive potential product-buying individuals and sponsorship-enabling football fans. But of course, this decision has nothing, nothing at all, to do with money. If we look at how football has developed in the last decades, in the last years as well in particular, we can see that um, the quality has become higher and higher all over the world. For this reason, the expansion has been as well decided. It's about football. He said before adding, now hand me that £50 note because I want to light another one of these rhino horn gold-plated cigars. It's hard to believe that the idea of more cash than even Set Blatter could dream of streaming through the FIFA offices wasn't part of the motivation behind the decision to accept the proposal. Especially when FIFA's very own leaked document said that they stood to make an extra 1 
billion dollars from expanding the tournament. A sum of money that it's virtually impossible to say without sounding just a little bit evil. One billion dollars. Come to think of it, there's more than a passing resemblance between Gianni and Dr. Evil, isn't there? I shall call him Mini-Me. With all of these criticisms, it doesn't even touch on the new format benefiting defensive football, the sheer infrastructure that a country would now need to support a World Cup bid, or the arguments that I'm bound to have with my wife as I try and watch the four proposed games of World Cup football that will be played every single day during the tournament. <coughs> but none of that is important. And now, 25% of the world's footballing population will get a ticket to the World Cup rodeo. And in just a few years' time, we could see Gareth Southgate's England coming unstuck on the big stage against the likes of Burkina Faso, Uzbekistan and Honduras. I'm, of course, joking. England probably won't even qualify for the 2026 World Cup. Well, that was the worst performance I have ever seen from an England team, ever. I'm Jim and this is On The Left Side, the season fanual 2017. A little look back at our favourite stories from the past 12 months. For the last few years, there seems to have been a concerted effort from everyone in football to hammer any kind of personality out of the game. Anything even verging on an opinion from a player can result in either a hefty FA fine or the removal of a big money sponsorship deal. Now, most players are afraid to say anything in a press conference other than it was a tough game, we gave 110% and I just stuck my toe out and it went in, Jeff, for a fear of upsetting the person holding the purse strings. Thankfully, 2017 bucked that trend and we ended up with some of my favourite post-match interviews of all time. First up, footballers have mastered the art of speaking plenty and saying nothing, but not Tottenham's Yang Vertonghen, who managed to give an interview as succinct and precise as teammate Harry Kane's finishing earlier this year. OK, Yen's in a hurry, so this can be a very quick interview. Yen, what do you think of the game today? Yeah, very good. Okay. Thank you very much. That's all you need. Match of the day would be 15 minutes if everyone did that. Seven seconds in and out. Now, my wife might not be impressed with that kind of efficiency, but I am. Yeah, very good. Okay. Thank you very much. Next up, there is something very special about football in South America. I don't know quite what it is. The echoes of heroes like Pele and Maradona, the exotic backdrops, the beach football, or is it just the amazing TV coverage? Just have a listen to this excitable bit of commentary from San Lorenzo's Premier League clash with Arsenal de Sarandi. It's even better when you find out what's being commentated on is a dog on the pitch. Amazing. The purge of Sunday League football also affects the Premier League in Argentina. If this were England, the dog would just be removed and that's the last we heard of it. But this is South America and the TV crew decided they wanted to interview the dog after the game. You want to hear it? Of course you do. That is 100% genuine. The dog was later adopted by the club, which is just lovely. But it's our final post-match star who could really end up being in the doghouse. After his team, Free State Stars, earned a draw against Ajax Cape Town in the South African League, striker Mohamed Anas was keen to thank those closest to him and instantly landed himself in hot water with the misses. Thank you very much for, for, for this, for giving me this. And I appreciate my fans also. My wife and my girlfriend, I mean my wife, yeah, sorry to say, I'm so, I'm so sorry, my wife, Lizzo. I love you so much, Aya. I love you so much from my heart, ne? Yeah, right, mate. Good backtracking. Bit too late, though, yeah? You have to admire his honesty in front of millions of TV viewers. But if you believe most of the tabloid stories concerning footballers on these shores, then perhaps this would have been a more honest interview. Congratulations on a hard-fought point. It was a great match. Yeah, I just want to thank my wife and my girlfriend and my other girlfriend and my bit on the side and that girl I was photoed with in that nightclub in the sun and that fan I met in my Range Rover outside the ground and those 16 call girls in that Russian hotel. Oh yeah, and that llama. I mean, they got weird, but thanks anyway. I think that's just about it. Cheers, Jeff. So, on to what really was, for me, the big story of 2017. There is no doubt that money 
definitely dominated proceedings. Chinese super clubs, big money takeovers and record TV deals have all caught the headlines. And if you were talking about money, you have to talk about the world's most expensive player, Neymar Jr. The little Brazilian lit up the transfer window with his 222 million euro move from Barcelona to PSG. 222 million. It's an amount of money that is just incredible. And when the story broke back in August, it just seemed unbelievable. I'll be honest with you. I'm struggling to get my head around the £198 million transfer of Neymar Jr. from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain. How a club can spend twice as much on one player than they did on building their stadium, I don't know. And Neymar doesn't even have his own floodlights. I completely understand that almost any club in the world would want a player of Neymar's quality in their ranks. And at 25, he has plenty of time to be up there with the best in the world. But 200 million quid? It's a number that I'm just struggling to compute. And I'm not the only one. Whilst the transfer was going through, Barcelona were clearly as confused about the sums as anyone else. When they insisted that to complete the transfer, PSG would need to pay uh, the transfer fee in full. Isn't that kind of how it works? You can't just go to vouchercodes.com and type in Neymar50 to get him half price. Can you? Is that what Harry Redknapp does? There's also a load of confusion as to how PSG are actually going to pay for the Brazilian and at the same time, stay clear of any FIFA financial fair play rules. Rules that mean clubs aren't allowed to spend a load more money than they make on new players. And in case you didn't realise, 200 million quid is officially loads. All I'm saying is don't be shocked if a smartly dressed Arab gentleman walks into the PSG club shop in the next week or so and spends 220 million euros on a PSG biro. There's no doubt it is a sexy move. It sets PSG up as one of the dominant forces in world football, a force that they long to be. And it certainly got the fans going as well. Just listen to the reception Neymar got when he stepped onto the pitch at the Parc des Princes for the very first time. Paris the magic. That is louder than the shouting that was coming from Raheem Sterling's apartment this week after his girlfriend picked up a copy of the sun. But for the club, is this a case of heart? ruling head. Certainly for big boss Nasir Al-Khalafi, it sounds like it might be the former. But he looked very handsome. He's already handsome, but with that jersey, very, very good. <laughs> it's kind of got that slightly creepy feeling, like when your mum's newly divorced friend comes over for a glass of Chardonnay after her salsa class and keeps commenting on how big and strong you've grown up to be. Mm. Unnerving. Obviously, a big dose of man love wasn't the main influencing factor behind Neymar's move to PSG. A big dose of money also played some role in that. Now, I appreciate that if Neymar really was chasing the big cash payout, he could have up sticks and gone to China. But nonetheless, I'm sure the £26,780,000 a year salary went some way to convincing him that Paris was a good place to make his new home. And that won't go as far as you think in Paris either. I've been there and I paid slightly more than that for a cup of coffee and a sandwich overlooking the Eiffel Tower. After making the move, Neymar Jr. spoke of needing a new challenge in his career. And spending all that cash is certainly going to be a challenge. It's also worth knowing that if Neymar were to contribute just 1% of his salary to a charity like Oxfam, for example, that would be enough to buy 433,000 goats for a family in Africa. Although that's probably not a great idea. I don't care who you are. If someone turns up on your doorstep with half a million goats, you're probably not going to be that appreciative. That's quite an interesting method of processing some of the mind-boggling sums of money in the game right now, isn't it? See how many goats you can buy for the equivalent cash. For Paul Pogba's English transfer record fee, you could buy almost 3.5 million goats, or 
a goat load, as it's otherwise known. Instead of the £224 million spent on new players last summer by Manchester City, you could have bought 8.6 million goats. That's around 4% of the world's goat population. And even Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's relatively humble transfer fee of £22 works out at around 850,000 goats. Actually, if I was a Liverpool fan, in retrospect, I think I'd rather have the goats. But as for Neymar, he does seem to be struggling a little to settle in Paris and hasn't quite bonded with his fellow teammates. I mean, God knows why. He's just a millionaire playboy footballer earning more than any of his colleagues with rules in his contract forbidding he be tackled in training and an ego that refuses to let any of his PSG teammates take penalties or free kicks. No idea why no one likes him. If reports right now are to be believed, Neymar is already regretting the deal and is looking for a route back to Spain. Maybe with arch-rivals Real Madrid, which means he can add every single Barcelona fan to the list of people who hate him. Personally, if I were him, I would have never left Barcelona in the first place. And not because they are one of the world's sexiest clubs, but because by leaving Barcelona, you are also abandoning Ray Hudson. Hudson is a commentator for being sports in the US and every year he brings the clash between Real and Barca to life with some very different commentary. And for this season's El Clasico, Ray was on fire. This week we were given the footballing gift that is Spain's El Clasico. But why is the Battle of Spain's Giants such an enticing prospect around the world? Is it the age-old rivalry between clubs whose hatred of each other goes so much deeper than football? Is it the chance to see two of the world's greatest footballers ever produced on the planet go head-to-head on the ultimate stage? Or is it getting to hear some little Geordie bloke going mental on the telly? Yep, it's the last one. El Clasico means only one thing in my household, and that is the legendary Ray Hudson's commentary on being sports. If you are a long-time listener to On The Left Side, you will be no stranger to Hudson's work. And you should forget all about Messi's goal-scoring masterclass because it was the man with the mic who was in the greatest form that night. Hudson had already dropped some amazing analogies. He's as sharp as a porcupine's backside was one, and cleaner than Neutrogena with his finish was another one. But when Messi popped up with his 500th goal in a Barcelona shirt to seal victory, the Hudson brain went into overdrive. It's Messi! Oh, what a goal! The medicine man arrives and sinks his flaming spear into the hearts of Real Madrid. Astonishing from Messi! Born in the crossfire hurricane and he is jumping Jack Flash! There was only ever going to be one man who could do justice to Messi's 500th goal, and that man was Hudson. Messi, cool, is the seeds inside the cucumber. A man who has the same level of control over the English language as, um, as a, as a, as a majestic salmon or something. It's not that easy, is it? Alan Shearer, Andy Townsend, Michael Owen, Danny Mills, Jamie Redknapp, you boys should pull up a pew and learn a thing or two because Ray Hudson is teaching you a lesson in football commentary. Messi, you could drop a tarantula into his shorts and he'll still be cool. It's a thing of beauty. The kind of thing that Sam Matterface could have taken inspiration from when he covered the other big story of the year. It wasn't Chelsea winning the title. It wasn't Man City building a giant gap over everyone else in the league this season. It wasn't even Ronaldo winning his Messi equaling fifth Ballon d'Or. It was a man eating a pie. Fifth tier, Sutton United, was set to play Arsenal in the FA Cup in a game that I am contractually obliged to mention alongside the phrase Oh, it's the magic of the FA Cup. However, it wasn't the football that caught the headlines. It was one man and one pasty. Finally, the game got underway and Sutton gave a decent account of themselves when it could have been easy for them to be overawed by the game. Or, to use TalkSport's Sam Matterface's analogy... They haven't frozen, they haven't sat like rabbits in the uh, proverbial headlights or perhaps more pertinently here, a giraffe in the headlights. Ah, yes, that famous phrase, caught like a giraffe in the headlights. I like it. 
jazzes up the old phrases a little bit. I'm going to use that along with my other favourite phrases like a rhino in the hand is worth two in a bush, people in glass houses shouldn't throw zebras, and my old favourite, never eat yellow snow leopard. But if I was Theo Walcott, I'd be feeling a little bit disappointed right now. He scored his 100th goal for Arsenal in that game and somehow got overshadowed by the not inconsiderable shadow of a man eating a pie. The unlikely hero and then villain and then hero and then villain again of this pantomime was Sutton United's reserve goalkeeper come groundsman Wayne Shaw who's been dubbed the roly-poly goalie because of his 23 stone frame. To be fair, he is the groundsman of a club with a 3G pitch, so it's not surprising he's out of shape a bit. I mean, he's got bugger all to do. But his real moment in the spotlight came on the 83rd minute when TV cameras caught him tucking in to a mid-game snack. Wayne Shaw has decided that now is the time to get stuck into a pie. What would Arsene Wenger say? I think we know what Arsene Wenger would make of that, don't we? Honestly, during the game, I didn't see it. Here's the thing. It wasn't just Wayne tucking into a healthy and nutritious in-game snack to keep himself in his peak physical condition. Because earlier that week, Sunbets, Sutton's sponsor for the game, had placed odds of 8-1 to one on exactly that thing happening. And it ended up in the keeper, come groundsman, resigning from his role at the club. Sad times. This is a man who really cared about his club. Forget the goalkeeping side, he slept at the ground three days a week to make sure he could do his job properly. And now, all that's been lost because of what I like to think was an error of judgement on his part. But I am sure that will not be the last we hear from Mr Wayne Shaw. Even before it all blew up, he was talking about his next gig and a potential football switch from Sutton to Arsenal. What would it take to prize you out of Sutton to Arsenal? I think two more than the four you've got there. <laughs> for six Cornish pasties, you will sign for Arsenal. Definitely. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, mate. Given Arsene Wenger's willingness to dip his hand in his pocket for a transfer, I think six pasties is probably a bit steep. Maybe drop it to two pasties. Two pasties, a steak bake and a cheese and beans slice. What a year it's been. 2018 is going to have to work hard to top pies, money, goats and FIFA being FIFA. Well, in fact, you can pretty much guarantee that FIFA are still going to be FIFA in 2018. They've got the World Cup to balls up. We'll be back in a few days with your twice-weekly dose of alternative football news. Until then, Happy New Year! On the Left Side is written and produced by Ant McGinley and Jim Salverson for Abrupt Audio.